passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. At the Turn is brought to you by Vice Golf. Vice is a German company that makes premium quality golf balls for half the premium price. The Pro and Pro Plus were awarded a gold medal on Golf Digest's annual hot list, making Vice the only small company to win the magazine's highest award. Use the promo code TURN when you check out at vicegolf.com to get free shipping. That's promo code TURN. Golf balls shouldn't cost more than the round of drinks afterwards. What's your vice? This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Congratulations, you found another episode of At The Turn. That's Nick. I'm Joe. What's up, Nick? Aloha. Just uh, hanging out on a weekend afternoon. I was very lucky. Recently, I was out at the LPGA's Portland Classic. And Nick, I haven't told you this yet, but there were a lot of LPGA stars mingling about at the end of the tournament. So Julie Inkster walks by, one of the five best women professional golfers ever, the victorious Solheim Cup captain. She walks by, and I say to my girlfriend, hey, hey, that's Julie Inkster. She's like, who's that? I was like, she's one of the best five women's players ever. <laughs> I said, it's awesome, it's awesome. She's like, well, why don't you go, to pick, go get a picture? And I said, no, no, I can't. I'm too nervous. So I let that go. Brooke Henderson. <sighs> Brooke Henderson walks by a few seconds later. She looks right at me. We make eye contact because earlier in the day, I yelled out, let's go, Brooke! And she looked at me, and so she recognized it was me, and I'm like, hey, it's Brooke Henderson. She's like, go take a picture with Brooke Henderson. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Finally, <laughs> Jerry Fultz of the Golf Channel walks up, and I went through the same routine, and she's like, you are getting a picture with this guy. So he goes into the clubhouse, comes out, I introduce myself, such a nice guy, such a hot day in Portland. He still put his arm around me. We shake hands. It was awesome. We leave the golf tournament, and as we're leaving the grounds, there's this dude in the golf cart. He's got a couple ladies with him. He's holding a beer, having a great time. And who is it but Jerry Fultz? And he's like, have a good one, Joe. And I'm like, man, Jerry Fultz is the coolest guy ever. I love Jerry Fultz. So I sent Jerry Fultz a little Twitter message, and he responded right back. He said he'd love to be a guest in the podcast. And we were lucky enough to talk to him 
Uh, we talked to him about, oh, 10 days ago from when we're posting this episode. He just finished up covering the LPGA event in Indianapolis, which Lexi Thompson won. And we had a great chat with Jerry Foltz. Joe, the best part about it is the chat was live from an Indianapolis Indians minor league baseball game, which I don't know a better place to record an interview without the turn from. If there is one, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, the audio was a little spotty, but that's on our part. There's nice baseball ambiance in the background, so you can hear everything Jerry says just fine. We had a nice chat with him, so we're going to have that coming up in just a second. After our chat with Jerry Foltz, we're going to play another edition of Would You Rather. The fans have demanded it, so we're bringing it back. And we're going to talk, of course, a little tiger. Um, but first, here's our chat with Jerry Foltz. How easy or difficult was the leap from playing golf professionally to now broadcasting it professionally? Uh, well, broadcasting it professionally is a lot easier than playing it professionally um, <laughs> because you, there's, you get paid no matter how bad you are. But uh, <laughs> the longevity is a lot different as well. Um, I think, you know, what's funny is uh, I had this talk with my mother, now, now deceased, when I first took the job, and she gave me some great advice, but... She also said that you love the job so much, it's almost like all those years you spent practicing and trying to play professionally were nothing more than on-the-job training for what you were meant to do. Well, that's a really good way to look at it. Uh, uh, when you're out on the course with, with these players all day, and I'm sure you kind of, over the course of time, build relationships with them, is it, is it strictly professional when you're on the course, or do guys come up to you during the course of a round and kind of crack jokes and stuff with you? Uh, well, yeah, yes and yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you try and keep it strictly professional. Our, our, um, our obligation, our duty as commentators, our the people that we answer to, you know, ultimately you say the bosses and this and that, but our, our one responsibility is to the viewer. So you can't let personal feelings get in the way. And sometimes that becomes difficult, but you try and you try hard. Uh, when I cover the PGA tour, there are a lot of guys out there who I know who I'm BS buddies with that, uh, We'll walk along and tell stories and crack jokes. Covering the LPJ Tour, when I took the full-time job uh, doing primarily LPJ Tour on course about seven years ago, I made a conscious effort to try to not be social friends with them because I wanted to be able... The one thing that I thought was missing at the time from our LPJ coverage and from all LPJ coverage was objectivity. I thought... I thought that when I watched an LPJ event that people were trying to sell me on why it's such a great product and and how great the players were and all that. And I was screaming at the TV saying, I'm already watching. You don't have to sell me. If you treat them as professional athletes and, and respect uh, what they do great and, and criticize what they don't do well, it brings more credibility to it. Uh, but over the course of time, I have become pretty good friends with, with quite a few of the players. Now, remember, I'm older than most of their parents on the LPJ Tour, so it's a, it's a whole different dynamic than when I played and covered men's golf. And uh, it seems like all the on-course reporters are ex-professional players. Uh, why do you think that is? Uh, well, except for Bones and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Peter He's got quite, quite the resume, though, himself. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's just strictly uh, credibility with the viewer. When, when somebody said, and that's where I still struggle to this day. That's why uh, I, I like being a big fish in a small pond at times, because if I were out covering the PJ Tour week in and week out, and the next, uh, say, Trevor Immelman, who's showing quite a bit of promise as a commentator now, comes along, well, he replaces me instantly because he's won a Masters, he's played on tour, he's won, you know, he's won events, and I haven't. I played ten years 
struggling as a as a mediocre web.com player and a cup of coffee from time to time on the PGA Tour. But what it is is nothing more than credibility. When when a viewer hears you say something, um, an average golfer of, of sorts, they might not agree with it, but they know you got the chops to be able to state that opinion. Uh, as a as a just a trained broadcaster, a professional observer, then you can never really criticize a player in in the eyes of the viewer, uh, and 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 have the you know the 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 background to be able to justify saying it. I mean, everybody watches that watches golf on TV has an opinion why this guy's bad at this or good at that, and what they shouldn't have tried that. That was stupid, but it's just it's strictly credibility is all it is. That's so interesting, Jerry. Uh, someone, a colleague of yours at the Golf Channel who's had a rapid ascension is David Duvall, and he's excellent on TV, but do you think that his resume also helps his sort of meteoric rise? Because he sits right next to Brandel Chambly, who, to my I, recollection, I think only has one PGA Tour win. He does, and it was a kind of a satellite event that he won. It wasn't even a, a, a premier, or it was a full field event, but it was more of what you would call now as an extra field event. Um, yes, that matters. Uh, matters a lot. David Duvall has had the meteoric rise because what he says is very articulate and very profound, almost always. Um, Brandel's rise comes because of the way he delivers it. He is the most well-read, most researched, most knowledgeable and and he's a, a polarizing figure. You agree with what he says, you love him or you hate him, but he delivers it in such a way that I've heard so many people inside the industry say he is the best studio analyst in all of sports, not just golf. Of course, there are no other studio analysts in golf other than Golf Channel. Nobody else has studio shows, but he is the best studio analyst in all of sports because he... he he forms an opinion based on the research he puts in, and, and he backs it up with everything, and he articulates it so darn well. And plus, he's got the greatest hair on earth. So what more do you want? <laughs> it is a beautiful haircut. <laughs> so, Jerry, um, you were out uh, at the LPGA event in Indianapolis today. We're talking to you afterward. Lexi Thompson won. And what always strikes me about her is how violent and powerful her golf swing is uh, and I kind of want to broaden it out from there. So her, Michelle Wee, uh, Jason Day, a, a lot of these youngsters have very, very powerful, um, but it's yet to know, we, we time, there, enough time hasn't passed for us to know how durable these swings are over time. So what is your opinion about sort of the new overpowering way to play golf? Because we kind of saw what happened with Tiger, his, his, his career, maybe it's not over, but certainly a major bump in the road at this point. So uh, what is your take on the way that Lexi and other players like her play golf? I like to call them explosive swings. And it, it, you had a great description of it. Um, I don't think they stand the test of time. Uh, they never have, quite actually. Jack Nichols had kind of an explosive swing and never had an injury of his life, but he also had a long, sh- a big shoulder turn. He didn't take steep divots. He uh, he was smooth through just about everything he did. But he was a very powerful player. The 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 rotation, the torque, and Jason Day swing makes me hurt just watching him. And he's had so many injuries. Michelle Wee, uh, like Peter Alice said at the Women's British Open, we had him in our booth because a lot of our our people are old ABC people, and uh, and so we brought brought. Peter Alice in our booth to describe a few shots, and he said, 
this young lady, does she go about everything the most uncomfortable way possible? Because it appears that way. <laughs> She's so mechanical. And there's so many unnatural positions and motions in that swing. And she's fought injuries. It seems like it seems like the few weeks she's healthy is just the little spell between injuries. Same with Jason Day. Lexi Thompson has had one injury in her career, and that was from shooting a, uh, a promotional thing, a photo shoot type thing, doing some uh, kickboxing or punching a bag or something. She hurt her thumb and her wrist, which still aggravates her to this day. Other than that, she has not had an injury, not any kind of anything nagging at her at all. Occasionally, the same thumb and wrist that she injured while boxing. Um, those steep divots, yes, they concern us all. But the one thing that she doesn't do, she's not a mechanical player. Uh, there's not, even though that swing is long and powerful, there's not a lot of torque in the backswing. She turns the hips as much as the shoulder, so she's not creating any pressure there on the lower back. And uh, if her... If, the, she, if her hands and tendons can absorb the shock of impact with those short irons where she hits so steeply into it, then, uh, then I think she's going to be fine. But I do think in time that's going to be the first thing she does injure. Um, her swing, to me, isn't as violent, isn't as explosive as, as a Jason Day or even Michelle Weiss from the female standpoint. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a concern. I, I do miss the long, smooth swing. I miss the VJ Singh swings of the world the Ben Crenshaw swings of the world where there was never an injury because they were long and smooth and flowing and, and not a lot of twerking. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think, I, I don't think that's going to be the prototype in a generation from now of how to teach the swing. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see in the next 10 years, if the younger group now starts to adopt a more uh, swing that will last for, for 40 years instead of maybe 10 or 20. Um, Jerry, you make a living not, not only that, from but the workout, uh, workout portion, where they're all trying to get so strong and bulking up and, and transforming their bodies like Rory has done, who's also fought injuries, and Tiger did, who's fought injuries his whole career. I think they're going to go more along the, the VJ Singh line of, of training, which is, is flexibility. Yes, get a little strength, but don't do all these things that bulk you up, which was the conventional wisdom when I was a kid. You didn't lift weights because you didn't want to get bulky. You wanted to be loose and long and free. Get stronger, yes. Get flexible, yes. But don't get bulky because I, I just don't see how bulky or, or tighter muscles can be good for the golf swing. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about that actually on, a, on an earlier episode. So for our fans who haven't checked that one out yet, you can, uh, you can go back. But uh, anyways, I was saying, uh, you, you make a living going from beautiful golf course to beautiful golf course. Um, I got to know if I'm going to ever pursue a career in, uh, in maybe following your footsteps. Do you, get to, do you get to play any of these courses? you bring your sticks with you, or, or is, it, is it just uh, doing your work and then moving on? You know, I, I live in a world of first world problems. I could play every week, and I could play a lot. I could be out playing right now because we were off the air at 3.30 local today. Um, but I've been doing it so long, and I, you know my playing days are so far behind me that to me, golf to be enjoyable isn't about where you're playing, it's about with whom you're playing. I'd rather play a goat ranch with my friends and a beer cart than go play the most beautiful course uh, in America with strangers uh, and walking. It's just not fun to me. And the other thing is I do travel so much, and, and, and slugging those clubs around for maybe one hopeful round of golf a week or two uh, are, it's just not worth it. So when I do play, when we get a group of friends that want to go play, I'll get the rental club or I'll use the host pros clubs or something and play. But yes, the opportunity is there to do so. I've traveled my clubs one time all year long, and that was last week to Columbia Edgewater because we have a little grudge match with uh, the ghost of Hogan, a.k.a. Paul Regali, the assistant pro there. 
and Brian Tunstall, the head pro. We go out when we're not supposed to on Sunday night, so hopefully none of the members of Columbia Edgewater are listening to this. <laughs> and we've, it's a tradition now. We have a we have a, a little grudge match, and I brought Karen Stupples as my partner this year. And uh, But she wasn't my partner because Ghost and I, Paul Regali and I, are undefeated, and, and we kept that tradition alive. Oh, there you go. Um, and you've been with Golf Channel now for basically two decades. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your job was when you first started and how it's evolved into 2017? Um, well, when I first started, it was uh, a long story short. I, I offered to help at the second event they ever covered because it was a, a Nike event, now web.com event. And I met the producer and, and said, if you need any help, um, I'll be glad to do anything you guys want. I just think it's cool that there's this thing called the Golf Channel. And uh, the next day, he sat me in one of the trucks between a couple of guys, and I said, every time he points to one of the TV screens in front of you, you tell us who the player is, because we don't know. And I did that, and uh, and they offered to pay me 50 bucks, and I ripped it up and said, just, uh, I'll do this anytime you want. It was fun. And that turned into the next week out, getting a, a chance at a microphone where I walked around with one of their commentators and made fun of his English accent. And that turned into kind of a full-time job whenever they televised uh, NikeWeb.com events. Um, but it was still on course, and then through the process of over the years, they hired me as a full-time employee, brought me down to Orlando. I did hosting of studio shows, Academy Live. I did the fill-in uh, hosting when, when they needed one for the original Morning Drive show, which was modeled after Mike and Mike in the morning. Did play-by-play. I've done basically every job uh, at the Golf Channel they have on air. And then uh, it was about seven years ago. Well, it was about ten years ago where I just started doing mostly on course, and that's where they thought uh, that fit, fit my skill set. I think I'm just an outdoor pet by nature. And and then the uh, LPGA opportunity came along, and they slotted me into that. And so now I'm doing about 22 LPGA events, 23 LPGA events, and another dozen or so PGA Tour events or men's golf events, and uh, almost entirely on course. So it really hasn't changed much. The evolution of how we cover golf has changed quite a bit. The technology used in covering golf has changed quite a bit. But in terms of my job, walking around and trying to tell people what they don't see, uh, providing something that's either informative or entertaining, and if nothing like that reaches the top of my tongue, just shutting my mouth, that hasn't changed since the beginning. So, Jerry, that kind of leads me to my next question. What in the way... What and how the way golf is covered right now would you change or do you think can be improved and it's a simple change to make? Or do you think the way golf is covered right now on television is the way it should be? I think golf, the way it's covered right now, is going to be slow to change. There's a lot of technological things. You see in Fox, use a fair bit of them now. It's at the U.S. Open, the, the shot tracer thingy, and they'll use it on what we call the receive camera. That's pretty cool. Um, I would like to see that used a lot more, but that's expensive. And somebody has to offset those costs of every little technological thing you can use. Um, a really simple thing that I've been a proponent of since day one is every single person who doesn't need to be sitting in a booth should be on the course. We, we happen to cover the only professional sport where you can put a reporter on the field of play. If you're sitting in a booth somewhere, even in a tower, you're basically just watching TV and talking, and you can't really add a lot to what what the viewer isn't seeing. The whole job of, of commentating on TV is to tell the viewer what they're not seeing and to basically judge people to be to, to make it quite simple. Um, 
But other than that, I think, well, you know, we have whole announcers. And I, and I like the fact that we do it because it brings different voices and a fresh perspective and, and doesn't let the viewer get tired of the same voice all the time. But I think you can accomplish the same thing by putting those guys on the course with another group or even like uh, we did today in the final round of the uh, tournament in Indianapolis. We put both of our on-course commentators, myself and Kate Cocker, with the last group because they were the, really the only group that mattered. And, and you have a nice round table of voices talking about things and talking through things and hopefully educating and entertaining at the same time. What do you guys think? What would you like to see different? I'm curious. I love the shot tracer. Um, I'd love to see that on as many shots as possible. And I remember back, like, maybe it was five or ten years ago, they had, like, on the greens, they would show, they would try to show the break of the green. I don't know. The line. I, I, they've done away with that. I don't know if it's because it wasn't accurate uh, or if it was expensive. But um, I remember seeing that and thinking it would help me kind of judge if it was a good putt or not before it got to the hole. I remember when Sayri Pak won at Black Wolf Run, and they had that on the line of her putt on the 18th hole. It was so cool. Yeah, it's really expensive. It's pretty <laughs> darn accurate, but it's really expensive. The only thing that um, I would change... Oh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, Jerry, the one thing that I would change is the amount of golfers that are shown, especially in the majors, I feel like they just don't show enough golfers. And I get it. When you're in the last nine holes on Sunday, that's all you want to see is the few final groups. But there's... a. Going out to a golf tournament, the one thing you appreciate is how many players are on the course at one time. And when you're watching that on TV, I just don't feel like that comes across. Yeah, um, but for it to come across, you'd have to watch every single minute. When we did the Men's British Open, the Open Championship or whatever uh, iteration we're supposed to call it, um, <laughs> we showed every player in the field. We've done it for two years over the course of the first four days. But you'd have to watch 80 hours of golf <laughs> to see them all. Right, um, And then, and then there, you know, there's... There's something to be said or not said for you're showing some random guy who's eight over par going to miss the cut, hit one shot just to show him that type of thing. And when you do that, you cannot mean a golf shot takes, what is it, from, it's usually, even if it's a tape shot, which a lot of them are in those situations, it's seven seconds before impact when the guy appears on the screen. And then he hits it, and then the ball goes, and then it releases, and you cut back to him and you show a scorecard. You're looking at 30 seconds. Um, that, that by showing more people can take away from getting to the action live that really matters. Yeah. I think I agree with you. I think you shouldn't just focus on, on the, the, you know, like Thursday and Friday, uh, CBS does it on our air when we cover Thursday, Friday golf on a CBS production. And, and we're, we do it sometimes where you focus on the two or three premier groups that were made for TV. Uh, it's easy to do that. And those are the people that, that, those are the players that the people want to see more than some of the other lesser-named players. But I, I would like to see a lot more of them, absolutely. Uh, you, the thing is, most tournaments other than majors, we don't have cameras on every hole. Like We cover a lot of LPJ events with eight or nine hard cameras and four handheld cameras, so 13 cameras total. And you want two cameras on every shot, or it looks really uh, you know, college cable access production type thing. So basically, there's five or six different holes we can cover at a time, and you're never going to catch all the players that way. Jerry, uh, you've been very generous with your time. We'll get you out of here with this. Are you ever worried about speaking too loudly while a player is hitting their shot? <laughs> you know, as a former player, you never do. You just never do. You actually default the other way and speak too softly. I've been one time in 22 years of doing this have, I distracted a player 
and it was in, in the Bahamas a year and a half ago. And of course, it was none other than Rabbit Ears himself, Bubba Watson. And he walked up to me afterward <laughs> and apologized to me for stepping off the shot because I was about 70 yards away and downwind from him. And, and he, he just, yeah, and he made bogey on the hole, but he eagled on the, he, he holed out for eagle on the next hole and walked over and apologized to me. So, no, you get downwind, you get far enough away. I, I, I learned from Dottie Pepper just how close you can get without them hearing them. If you just, I guard my mouth with the yardage book, put the hand to the side if you want. And if you speak, if you smoked enough cigarettes when you were younger, you can speak softly with some bass in your voice, and it sounds like I'm talking like I am to you guys now. So, uh, Tricks of the trade. That's some really good insight there. <laughs> Absolutely. Smoke more. <laughs> Jerry Foltz, Golf Channel, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. You guys asked some great questions. I appreciate it. If your name is Jake Goggins, you are the winner of a brand new box of Vice Selected Golf Balls. Congratulations, Jake. Way You're the go, winner of, of our Facebook contest. If your name is not Jake, you can get some free ship gun golf balls anyways. Go to vicegolf.com, buy a bunch of boxes of golf balls, enter promo code TURN, T-U-R-N, at checkout, and you'll get free shipping. All right, Nick. It's playoffs time. Are you as excited as I am for the FedEx Cup playoffs? Absolutely not. Oh, no. So I, uh, the only reason I wanted to start a golf podcast with you is so we could get to the playoffs so I could tell you how much I can't stand the FedEx Cup playoffs. Is this our last and... show? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, we'll do this again next September. But, um, Joe, it's just like, to me, and the overarching thing for me is... Every other sport that I don't really follow that much, like NHL and NBA, I'm locked in during the finals, during the Stanley Cup, during the NBA finals. NFL, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. Guess what? Not watching that much of the regular season. Super Bowl, I'm locked in. Golf is the opposite. It's the only sport where winning the playoffs is not like the goal for everybody every year. I don't know. What do you think? Well, first, let's explain what the FedEx Cup playoffs are. So essentially, throughout <laughs> the duration... We have to do that. Yeah. I the, think. It's, it's not a good sign. But for folks that don't know, every <laughs> tournament has certain points allocated to what place you finish in that tournament. And once you get to the playoffs, which is the final four tournaments of the golf season, you start to eliminate players based on the amount of points they have. Obviously, the more points you have, the longer you last. If you win the whole thing, if you have the most points at the end, you win $10 million bonus, and you get money based on your finish, like third place is a million dollars. So that's that's the basic idea of it. It's not really interesting to me, and I love golf, but I think the biggest problem they run into is it starts, the playoffs start as soon as college football and the NFL starts. So it's just timed really poorly. To me, that's the biggest problem with it. And I believe it's going to be pushed back two years from now, or pushed up rather two years from now, once they rearrange the majors and the PGA Championship is in May. I believe they're moving the FedEx Cup to August, which I think is going to help a great deal. Because really, once you hit Labor Day, I don't really feel the same need to sit down and watch a golf tournament. Now, I'm obviously listening to all my golf podcasts, especially at the turn, but actually following a golf tournament, my mindset just kind of changes when it gets to September and I'm less interested. Yeah, all the majors are over. Um, the most exciting thing happening in this month is either the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup, depending on what year it is. Um, and I don't know. For me, the biggest thing is that you don't have to win the last tournament or really any tournament to win 
the championship, which just seems like a sham to me. Like, the Warriors won 73 games in a season, but they still have to go out and win, you know, every series to win the NBA championship, which they did not do. Um, so I just feel like there needs to be match play that decides the the champion, whether it's getting down to 32 or 16 or 8, or taking the winner of the FedEx Cup point standings and the winner of the Tour Championship, which is the last tournament of the season, and putting them head-to-head if it's not the same person, which in order for that to work, you'd have to change up the points a little bit because, Joe, I did a little research today, believe it or not. Good for you. And and the, major- the overwhelming majority of, of Tour events are worth 500 points for the winner um, in the FedEx Cup standings. Majors are worth 600. There's a couple that are less than 500. I'm not quite sure why. The WGCs are 550. Anyways, they're all in that five to 600 range. The FedEx Cup events are 2,000. So obviously they weight it. So if you win those events, then you're like, those are all like the most important events. Um, but if they weighted it the same as the regular season, I'd like to see the points leader go head to head with like the playoff tournament winner in a match. I like that. I mean, I like the idea of match play. I enjoy watching the one match play tournament a year. I just think match play is not very conducive to television. And if you just have... Really? Well, if you have a one-on-one match, there's a lot of downtime. I think if they were to do it... So I don't know if you ever watched these, but one of the most enjoyable programs that the Golf Channel no longer airs are Shell's Wonderful World of Golf. And I you are going to say big break. No, no, no. No, no, no. This... It'll come full circle. So they they had these matches since, like, I don't know, the 40s and 50s. Like, they have some super old ones with, like, Sam Snead and Hogan and those guys. So it's an 18-hole match, and it is a made-for-television match in the sense that it's not live, it's recorded, and you can edit all, all the stuff in between. So you can really boil it down to just the important parts of the match in like an hour or a two-hour program. So I think if they're going to go the match play route, they should do it on tape delay, which I know is like sacrilege. Oh, in They can't do that in this, in this era. But they do it for the Olympics, and if you're doing it to produce an entertaining television program, I think that's what you have to do. And if you have to do it live... Then you're sitting there for five hours watching two guys play golf. That's a big ask. I don't know because there's only one. Like say you say you start match play at like 16, 16 players, right? So there's really only going to be one match that's two guys because the rest of them are going to be you know there's going to be a handful of matches going on. Um, and it's so I think I think it's so much more interesting to watch. Yeah, there's downtime, but the the folks that, that be at the golf channel can figure out how to make that the most interesting, which I don't think would be that hard. And think about watching the Ryder Cup. I mean, obviously there's more players on the course th- at the time, but those matches get so intense. And if there's if the players if this was the most important event of the year to the players and it's down to the final two and it's like Rory and Dustin Johnson, like I'd watch that for six hours. I hear you. If you get the dream matchup, if you get the speeth if you get the Thomas, if you get those guys playing against each other, obviously you're going to want to sit and watch it. But the match play tournament that they have in February, I think they've had it for around 20 years now. There's maybe been one or two matches that have been really compelling guys against each other. There's never Tiger versus Phil. There's never DJ versus Rory. It just never shakes out that way, unfortunately. And I think you're probably going to get some clunker matchups too, which goes well, against you, the match play argument. I don't know. If you get it right where you're – 
keeping the best players around till the end, you shouldn't get like the <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau's of the world. PGA Tour winner Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. That's that's just how I feel. I, I really couldn't care less about the current format of the playoffs. Um, especially, I mean, obviously it doesn't happen, but according to the system, you don't have to win any events to be the champion, which I just, it's hard for me to take that seriously. And Joe, before we end this, this segment, since I've been waiting an entire year, um, to have this segment, I just want to start listing events and I want you to stop me when I get to one that you think is less important than winning the playoffs. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm just going to clump these all together because they're all in one group. All of the majors. Is there any major that's less important than winning the FedEx Cup playoffs? No. Okay. Um, attaining the world number one ranking? Certainly not. Okay. Uh, being a representative of your country's Ryder Cup team? Would I rather be on a Ryder Cup team? Yeah. What, yeah. What's more important? Yeah. Ryder Cup. Okay. Yeah. President's Cup? Yeah. Okay. Um, player of the year? I would take the FedEx Cup over Player of the Year. FedEx Cup over Player of the Year. Ten okay. million dollars. Um, players Championship. I would take the players. You take the players, okay? Um, WCG WGC events, the World Golf Championships. I would take the FedEx Cup. Take the FedEx Cup, okay? Um, and the last one I had was the Olympics, which which didn't go over too well with golf Olympics for you. Wait a minute, you didn't like the Olympics in golf? No, no. I, I'm not saying my personal opinion, but a lot of a lot of the players didn't play. Oh, I a see. A lot of them didn't think it was. The a Zika. lot of them didn't think it was important. Yeah, the Zika virus. I remember that. That was the big thing last summer. So, yeah. uh, I would rather play so in I'm the Olympics. You, I'm asking you what you think is more important yeah. to the tour players because yeah. you're basically you know in their minds. Yeah, the Olympics. The Olympics. So, so you've got your your season championship ranking below. I don't know, like maybe somewhere in the in the ten range of how of important about of that. things for somebody's season. Yeah, you know, and I can't think of any other sport or competition where the championship isn't the goal. So I think if they could figure out a way to motivate the players and maybe make it more exciting for the fans, match play I think is the solution. Uh, just to put that out there, the last sixteen, throw them in a match play tournament, fill out some brackets. I don't know, we could have some fun with it. We certainly could. Did you just sneak an extra would you rather on the show? I feel like I was just playing would you rather there. Um, no. Really I was asking you what <laughs> I was asking you what's more important to PGA Tour. <laughs> oh, players, I see. So it wasn't would you rather. <laughs> <laughs> well, um I'm I still want to play Would You Rather because the fans have demanded it, Nick. The 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 amount of emails we've gotten um has been really, really eye opening. So, Almost impossible to count. No, yeah, I, that's why I haven't even tried. So, Nick, this week's edition of Would You Rather, would you rather make a hole-in-one, an ace, or a double eagle, or as our friends over the pond say, an albatross? For me, I'd rather make an albatross, Joe. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, because why wouldn't you? Would you rather make a birdie or an eagle? Well... Eagle's better than birdie. Albatross is better than an ace. So, hmm, I'm taking the one that's better for my score, the one that's harder to make, the one that's more rare, the one where if you're with a bunch of people and they say, have you ever had a hole-in-one? You can say, I've had an albatross. And some of them might not even know what it is, and you get to explain to them that you hold out your second shot on a par five somewhere. You just made my argument for me. You're going to be with a group of people. You're going to say you made an albatross, and you say, 
What the hell is an albatross? Is is that even in golf? Joe. No. A hole in one, I could tell anybody in the world that has any concept of sports what that I made a hole in one and they'll instantly know what that is. The whole idea of what is cooler, would you rather of these two is what you get to explain to people, right? It's like what you get to brag about. And the hole-in-one is something that everyone knows instantaneously. An albatross is a weird thing. We don't even know what to call it. Is it a double eagle? Is it an albatross? I'm not saying it's not harder or more impressive. If I was playing a round of golf, I would rather have one if I'm, like, trying to play a tournament. Because you're right, it's three under par in a hole as opposed to two under par in a hole. But for, like, my life, I would rather have a hole-in-one than an albatross. Wow. I mean, I think... I think for me, the extra time you get to take explaining what an albatross is or like explaining your albatross is the glory because you can say, I've had a hole in one. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of guys have had a hole in one, but like an albatross, whoa, whoa, an albatross? Like that's like two holes in one on the same hole basically or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know, man. You get to sit there and like describe the whole scenario and where your first shot went and where your second shot went and what club you hit and Obviously, it was a par five. I mean, you could cheat and, and make a hole-in-one on a par four, and that would be an albatross and a hole-in-one. But obviously, you're asking the question, in this scenario, would be on a par five, so it's not a hole-in-one. Sure. But, I mean, it's it's more rare, which makes it even cooler. Well, I'm glad we disagreed. Uh, I'm taking the hole-in-one, Nick wow. taking the albatross. You seem anybody, shocked. Anybody can make a hole-in-one because it doesn't – I mean – it just takes one good shot with, theoretically, a, a club that's relatively controllable, like maybe a short iron or a wedge or a, or a middle iron. Um, but an albatross is like, man, you got to crank a drive. Then you're probably hitting like a some sort of wood, like a three wood, and you got to hole it from like, I don't know, at best, over 200 yards. I'm not saying a hole-in-one is more difficult than an albatross. I'm just saying... <laughs> The brand, the brand of a hole-in-one is a lot stronger than the brand of an albatross. We're arguing the complete opposite things. You want to explain. I want the instantaneous recognition. I don't want to explain what an albatross is, but I do want people to know what a hole-in-one is, and I can say that I made it, and that to me... No. You know what I would say? If I didn't want to explain it, I'd just say Google it. <laughs> Drop the mic. Well, uh, Nick, before we get out of here, there's some Tiger talk, and uh, I think you're driving the bus this week. Yeah, Joe, last time we had Tiger talk, I, I was mentioning how Tiger's just like you and me, you know? He he wears his gym shorts to the to the chipping range and has his son film his swing, and, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've done that with a little tripod or whatever. Um, this week, he, he heard our... He heard our chat and decided to up his game a little bit. He's sitting in Rafa Nadal's box seats at the U.S. Open with his kids. So um, I can't say he's just like you and me anymore. Tiger out and about. Now, did he wear uh... <laughs> what? You, you know, You know what he wore, No, he, did, he didn't dress up. He wore his uh, Raiders gear. He wore a nice oh little Raiders gosh. jacket there. People, people dress up to go to the U.S. Open. Like People are in finely tailored suits. This is like a social status symbol of New York City. And Tiger Woods is just turning into like such a middle-aged dad. I can't believe it. He's showing up to the U.S. Open. The number one player at the U.S. Open gives him his box seats and he shows up in a Raiders jacket. Get out of here, Tiger. You could say he dressed up. I mean, he loves his Raiders. He's taking them he very seriously. Sleeves. It's opening weekend. 
uh, you know, around this time. So, you know, he, he's probably feeling decked out. I think I feel like Tiger's making a push to be part owner of the Raiders. Uh, really? Because he wears all the Raiders gear? I, I think he's just a Raiders fan. I don't know, man. I don't think Tiger's just a Raiders fan. I don't think he's just anything. You know, I mean, he's got all this money. Obviously, there's a passion there. He might have some extra time on his hands. Maybe start thinking about a second career. He's definitely not going into broadcasting. Tiger, I Tiger, I'm just throwing it out there, Joe. Tiger and I are fighting. I don't, I don't like the move of showing up in Rafa's seats and wearing Raiders gear. Not cool, Tiger. <laughs> Get it together this week, man. All right, well, Nick, um, I really want to thank Jerry Foltz. I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation we had with him. He really, really is just the nicest guy, and you can catch him on uh, LPGA coverage and PGA Tour coverage on the Golf Channel. Uh, I'd like to thank the dogs for being respectful of the time this week. Nick, thank you very much to your pups. Yeah, you know, they were pretty well behaved this week. I'm not sure if they made a cameo or not. Well, thanks to everybody for listening. Want to remind you, go to vicegolf.com. Use that promo code TURN. You get free shipping. Vice is a German company. They make premium quality golf balls for half the premium price. Check them out at vicegolf.com. Promo code TURN. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.